0: Listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life and the power of God's grace, and share his life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Well, good morning. Uh, as you can see, the, the bumper itself is it feels a bit intense. A- and it should. Here's why. As we're jumping into this book, let me just communicate to you that I feel a mixture of emotions. I'm excited and jazzed up about jumping into what I would consider, and many have considered, the most comprehensive letter ever written about the reality of the gospel. Like, this book lays out the essential elements of what it means, and what Christians believe. So whether you're a skeptic or a saint, whatever side you're on, even if you're here this morning just curious about what Christians believe, the book of Romans will be abundantly clear as to the substance of what the truth is about, the essence of the gospel as it stands. But here's, there's also some trepidation maybe that's a big term but I think that there's some uh a little bit of uh yeah trepidation in my own heart because here's what also happens in the reality of the book of Romans one of the things that you and I should anticipate in this journey that we're walking through is that you will be changed as will I that that the essence of what Paul does as he writes this letter from Corinth to a church that he's never been to likely the church was started by Jews who had been uh, saved at at Pentecost and gone back to Rome and and found themselves starting this church Paul had never been there and is hearing about how God is doing this work in this city that is the epicenter of idolatry and uh, licentiousness a, a sense of just a a uh, uh, moral compromise that they 're doing whatever they want, they have a pantheon of gods and in, in, in for all intents and purposes they're, they look as though and and literally described as the most successful nation in the modern world for them and in the process of those things a, a church begins to start by believers who are convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ. They're, life begins to change and what ends up happening, they begin to share that truth and and God begins to expand this church in Rome to a a place that Paul had, had never been and he's hearing about those things and writing this letter with a level of affection as well as a desire to ensure that any church that starts is rooted in the theological substance of who God really is because that's the danger, right? A church can start at any point at any time, but in the context, they can be influenced by all of these cultural things and end up walking, maybe not intentionally, maybe somewhat intentionally, away from the truth of the gospel. So what Paul is doing is rooting this church into the substance of of what it means to identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. And I would say that the book of Romans is as appropriate for our time as it was for then. There's not a word that is written on the pages of this letter that Paul penned by the power of the Holy Spirit to the church in Rome that you and I do not need here and now. But I will say that we should take into it a very clear expectation. God desires and is gonna use this book to change you. And I I, I get it, change is a bit nebulous because I think for many of us, myself included, we wanna manage that change. So here's what we do. God, let me tell you where I think you should change me and just work there because there's other places in my life I don't want you to address. And funny enough, God didn't ask our opinion. And so he's gonna be addressing so many things unashamedly and doesn't shy away from the very hard topics that I think tend to be obstacles for many of us in, the, in, in our faith. As we journey towards intimacy with Christ, there are conversations and things that we've had in the stillness of our own walk with the Lord that have remained obstacles consistently. He's going to deal with, is God fair? Is he just? Does he love? Is God consistent? Does God keep his promises? How does God handle the challenges and the sin within the church and without? All of those things, Paul is going to peer into and communicate the very theme that we've talked about already, Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16, I would suggest to you, is the theme of the entire book. 16 and 17 essentially, but what is he telling us? He's he's communicating to us that the truth of the gospel and the reality of what God is doing, it's the power of salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's communicating to us and to a church that the gospel is the power for salvation. But when he's talking about salvation, he is not limiting that to a moment in time where you and I placed our faith in Jesus and we were saved from the punishment and penalty of sin. He's communicating the reality that we need the reminder and the root and the transforming power of the gospel daily in our lives, that that it's not just we need salvation once, we need daily rescue. So if I had to use military terms to describe what change means, here's what I say. The gospel is gonna take back ground that we've willingly surrendered to the evil one through the course of our lives and even the course of our week like we've given up ground in areas of our lives where we have not wanted to look and allow the power of God in the midst of salvation to begin the work of transforming our lives where have we surrendered ground anxious thoughts that have embedded and contrasted and collided with our faith and trust in who God is fear And uncertainty about what the future might hold, even though we know the truth of God's provision and his care for his people and that there's never a moment where he's not working and he's never forsaking us. We've surrendered our lives and our hearts to fear. Maybe anger has jumped into our lives in such a way that it's begun to to grow roots and we find ourselves frustrated and irritated with the people around us that God has called us to love. There are moments of, of decisions and challenges and frustrations and habitual sins that we've struggled with. And and Paul is going to jump into all of those things. And here's what he's going to say. The hope that we have for change is found in the transforming work of the gospel. That the areas that we've surrendered ground to the evil one, and we've been convinced of lies and deceptions, we've been accused of things that we've been freed from by the power of the cross, we need Constant and chronic reminders of where God is going to change there's numerous stories and individuals who have told about the power of the work of God through the letter of the book of Romans. Augustine in 386 was a professor teaching rhetoric in Milan Italy in the process of that he was at a kind of a house party with some friends and there was a lot of different things going on and he just felt consumed if you will by his own sin and depravity he walked out into the garden of the friend and sat there weeping under this tree in tears and all he could hear is these kids singing across the street with neighbors and and all the words that would come ringing is take up and read take up and read there's a scroll sitting next to him and it was a scroll of the book of Romans and these are the words that he read He read, no reviling on drunkenness, not in debauchery or licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. And here's how he described what happens. No further would I read, nor had I in any instantly at the end of the sentence a clear light flooded my heart and all darkness and doubt vanished away. Augustine, for that moment, on through the power of the spirit had been changed by the book of romans he had heard and realized that the gospel was liberating him from a a self-centered lifestyle and that that putting on jesus christ meant that his life was fundamentally different categorically his life had changed his affections his longings his hungers were were radically different as he peered into the book of romans or if i'm more appropriate the the book of romans peered into him He realized his need and realized that his need was met in Jesus Christ and and life was changed. Same was true for Martin Luther. He was an Augustinian monk and he was tormented with this idea of the righteousness of God. He was so convinced that the righteousness of God meant that God was dispensing his wrath on all unrighteousness. And Martin Luther was 100% certain that he had so much unrighteousness that he would never measure up. Day in and day out, tormented with inside of himself about not feeling like he was good enough to be in the presence of God, but wanting to be faithful and considered righteous, he finds himself poring over the book of Romans. And he does, and he reads verses one, chapter one, verse 17. The words that transformed Martin Luther's life were this. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written... The righteous shall live by faith and hear his words. I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that the righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Thereof, thereupon I felt myself reborn, and to go through the open doors to paradise. The whole scriptures took on a whole new meaning, and whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. He began to understand that the pursuing nature of Christ over his life and the reality that we are justified by faith, not by the works of the law, or things that we do, he he began to understand the characteristics of God as he peered into this book, and God used the truth of his word to instrument life-transforming change. And and Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, the, the reality of justification by faith alone, that we are made right with God, not because of things we do, but because of what's been done for us by Christ on the cross, that his death, burial, and resurrection is what secured for us this justification, this being made right with God. His entire life was now built on this truth that grace was available to all. Life transforming, world altering. This is what we're in for in the book of Romans. And I will suggest to you that there is nothing in your heart that's off limits to God. Nothing that's off limits in my own heart to God. He has access and there are things that he plans to do in our lives in critical ways as we give ourselves over to the truth of what Paul writes to a Roman church he'd never been to, rooting us in the truth of the gospel and the reality of the doctrine of who Christ is, rooting us in the intimacy and the pursuing love and grace of Jesus Christ over our lives. I want to tell you this morning that I think there are three reasons why Paul wrote this book. First and foremost, I think he wrote it to clarify the gospel I think it's very easy for us to think of gospel. We think of good news. We think of the story of Jesus Christ and that he came to save sin-sick sinners. Fundamentally true, but the gospel is not limited to the salvation and the fact that we have entrance into heaven through faith in Christ. The gospel is a renewing and a transforming and a reality that we need to revisit every day. What we have to confess through the book of Romans to the God who has shaped us is that we need rescue every day. Now, this does not mean that our salvation is at risk by any stretch of the imagination he 's saying in the midst of salvation he 's writing to a church, and he 's saying, "As you are saved and in intimacy with Jesus Christ, God has not finished his work in you there 's constant things that he 's changing and transforming there are there's ground that we've surrendered to the evil one. There's deception that we believe. There's falsehoods in the midst of our own doctrine and our own emotions that need to be corrected by the truth of who Jesus is. That he is transforming his people. That we are being conformed into the image of Christ. There's no greater thing that we could give our lives to than to pressing in to how the gospel impacts every single area of your life. Nothing is off limits, praise God, because if I'm trying to manage my own change, I'm going to manage it in ways that seem manageable, and what I need is not management, but surrender. I want the power of God for salvation to be at work inside of me. So I think he clarifies the gospel. He's gonna do it regularly throughout the context of this entire book. These 16 chapters, he's gonna be walking us through how the gospel intrudes and impacts every single thing that we think and feel and do. I think he also writes this book to help unify the church. He writes it to the church at Rome and here's why. When I say unify the church, there's a significant thing that's happened in the church in Rome, There was an emperor, Claudius, in 49 AD, who decided, let's just get rid of all the Jews and get them out of Rome. So there were Jewish believers that were a part of this church that were now sort of moved out. And then five years later, in AD 54, new emperor, and they're like, okay, the Jews can come back. Imagine for a moment that I said to you, you've got to take a five-year hiatus from Park Springs Bible Church... And then all of the things that you've done and investing in what the church has looked like through all of those years, you come back five years later and what's the first thing you're gonna think? Everything's changed. Everything's different. We used to have some traditions and liturgy. There was an impact of how the the Jewish... influence of how the church looked the the Torah the law all of those pieces were part of how we did things the rhythm and now it's been given over to the Gentiles who don't have the same propensities they're not concerned about the same things and so now you have this conversation of well the Gentiles have taken over my church and what do I need to do I need to take it back kaboom That you get friction in the context of these Jews and Gentiles seeking to understand the power and the truth of the gospel in the midst of how not only they relate to God, but how they relate to one another. And Paul is convinced that the truth of the gospel has something to say, not just about our relationship with God, but how we relate with one another, that there is something substantive that God is doing as we press into very hard, frictional relationships with other followers in the midst of our walk with Christ. That there are things that God is doing in the midst of that challenge. And finally, I think the third thing that he's doing is to prove that God is righteous and consistent. I would say that in our day, one of the greatest challenges that you and I tend to face, or the words that we hear from the, the, the world outside, is that God seems unfair and unjust. Maybe we felt it ourselves with the chronic suffering that we've been through, and we look at others and say they haven't been through what I've been through, and it just seems unfair. And so Paul is gonna consistently beat the drum of how God is consistent and fair as he keeps his promises towards his people. And there are things that we we get a chance to see as we allow the work of God through the power of the gospel to be at work inside of each and every one of us. The main three focuses of Paul as he writes the book of Romans to the church is to clarify the gospel, unify the church, and prove that God is both righteous and consistent. How does he do it? Let's look, if you will, back at chapter one as he walks through a bit of the rhythm of how these things unfold. Paul first, in the first few verses, clarifies himself and and says and communicates his, his apostleship and why he's writing. And he talks about how in verse five, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to what? To bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Okay, so now we're getting a scope, a very broad scope of what Paul is doing here in the context of the book of Romans. I'm writing to you, one to confirm my apostleship and tell you that there's authority that I have. But what, what is our desire? To being about to bring about obedience of faith to where? All nations. This is a universal call to all humanity that the best place and the only place to understand who we truly are as individuals who've been designed by our creator is within relationship with Jesus Christ. And we move towards that through obedience of faith. What a unique term, right? Because often we think of obedience as doing the right thing when the right thing needs to be done. But he qualifies it with communicating that faith is the essential element that moves us towards obedience, we're trusting that the power of Jesus Christ at work in our lives moves us towards obedience, means that it moves us towards wanting and longing and hungering to honor the God who's not only saved us but created us. Faith is the essential element that ties us to the place of understanding the truth of who God is. What we're saying when we say that we believe in Jesus Christ is that we place our confidence in the and trust that the power of the gospel is at work in our lives that the things that god has said the the truth that he's communicated are worthy to stake our lives on not just for us but for the nations the desire is to bring about an obedience of faith that what do we want what does paul long for non-believers to place their faith and trust in jesus christ because he knows that the deepest place of them discovering who they truly are is in the midst of a relationship with their creator through faith in christ He's also communicating to the church that the greatest challenge that you face before you that you're aware of or the thing that's coming down the road that you're unaware of, the power of the gospel is the very thing that you need. Intimacy and pursuing grace of Jesus Christ to transform our lives, that nothing is outside of God's purview and he's doing things in the midst of our lives that are worthy to give ourselves to obedience to the nations. So let me suggest to you this morning that the fundamental thing that I think the gospel that, that Paul starts off, of, uh, starts off with is that the gospel restores fractured relationships between God and man. Again, the essence, salvation is a huge component of those things. What he's saying is that, and he's going to go through it in, in chapter 3, right? He's going to say, all of sinned, right? All of us are at enmity with God. There's a distance, there's a, there's a chasm that has existed between God and man, and that chasm was created by sin. And there's no way to bridge that gap by anything that we can do. The only bridge builder that is going to allow an opportunity for us to experience intimacy with our creator is God himself. He has to figure out how to draw us into that intimacy because we have broken the very things that God has provided. And the truth of the gospel is it restores the relationship between God and man. That there is an enmity or we are enemies of God because of sin by nature and by choice. We do things. We surrender ground to the enemy consistently. And so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, what we're saying is that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, has paid the penalty we deserve for our sin. And God has done that on our behalf, for our sake, drawing us to himself. Verses five and six, I think, make that clear. And then he tells us, That the gospel not only changes uh, people, that that God restores uh, broken relationships between God and man, but then he moves and helps us understand that gospel also restores broken relationships between people. That there are elements in a reality that you and I live in the midst of fractured relationships. Anyone here have a perfect relationship with someone? That would be awesome, right? Like, if you're married, you're like, well, that would be cool. Or you're sitting with friends, or you're in the midst of a relationship, or you're in a church. And surprisingly, as much as this will be a shock to you, Park Springs Bible Church is not perfect. Why? Because it's filled with imperfect people. And you got a really imperfect pastor, and you got imperfect staff, and you got an imperfect elder board. Like, we don't get this all right all the time. But that's where the power of the gospel is at work, because what we're saying is that God compels us towards one another because of the grace that he's given us, that as he's restored a relationship with us through faith in Christ, we're restored in a relationship with God, it moves us to see how the gospel restores fractured relationships with one another. I'd like to suggest this morning... And, and geology is probably the one that's given us the best terms or the best image that I can think of at the time in terms of how this whole thing works. So geologists have used this term or this theory or this idea of plate tectonics. Anybody familiar with that? You're like, yeah, I was in high school geology or whatever. So the thought is, is that everything in, in our, our world or earth is, is, is made up and there, there are fault lines that exist. There are plates and what happens is that everything's kind of going along just fine, but any time the plates begin to shift or there's any sort of friction, there's catastrophic damage has been done, whether it's tsunamis or earthquakes. Things happen when those plates that are met together begin to shift. And, and what Paul is suggesting in the city of Rome is that there are, there's a spiritual fault line that exists, and what it means is that the gospel is always on a con- collision course with the theology of the world, always. They function, they live simultaneously together, that we live in a world that has a theology. They believe something about God, and even those who say they don't believe in God believe something about God that they don't believe in, right, like it's, it's, it's a reality. They were all in the process of thinking about how this whole world works, And the gospel is on a collision course with all of those things that there's a spiritual fault line that exists in Romans. So you have this small little church in this industrial city that's living for themselves and doing all the things that they want to do and thinking that because they've gotten everything figured out and they're the most powerful nation in the world, nothing can ever happen to them. Has that ever been said here? (laughs) I mean, you see that even in in our own worship and even living in the United States of America, there is a sense in which the gospel is always on a collision course with the theology of the world. And the gospel compels us to be that which influences the world for the truth of Christ and who he is, right? A, A gospel for the nations. But in so doing, what we're doing is we're rooting ourselves in the truth that everyone that we encounter, including ourselves, need rescue. And that there are fractured relationships that each and every one of us have. And in the midst of those fractured relationships, whether it's in the church or in personal life, that is a space God is working. And it's not just working and saying, well, God, I just pray that that person changes. <laughs> Which I'm sure we've all said. But God is changing us through those things. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, that it's, it's a sense in which we've got to look at our lives through the lenses of Scripture and realize that we've actually contributed individually to the friction that's existed in the midst of relationships. I love, and I, maybe I shouldn't confess this, and so if it bothers you, uh, I'll ask for forgiveness later, but I'm a bit of a Swifty. Uh, uh, Taylor Swift, I know for some of the older, but I, I, I know it's kind of, I mean, okay, so maybe I'm getting some, finally, some, some street cred these days, but... <laughs> but Taylor Swift has this song that's <laughs> called Antihero, right? And I don't know if you've heard it. But, but she uses this term, and I, she doesn't mean it in the Christian terms, and so don't, don't suggest that I'm endorsing this song. But I think she gets it right because what she says is that so often we'd be willing to stare at the sun but never in the mirror that we're always willing to look at all those things around us but never really address the things that in, it, are in us. And she says, you know, you have this idea that there's this narcissism described as altruism, and we've got this, this deception that lives inside of our heart that we're not even really working and looking at the fact that, what's the issue? Well, it's me. It's I. I'm the problem. Right? That's, see, I almost got the song right. It's pretty good. you got to give me some slack. But I think that's what she's saying is that there's a sense in which, as we're looking at the reality of our own hearts, what we're saying to ourselves, what the gospel's compelling us to say, as you look inside, the first place that God is instrumenting change is in you. That we need change. That there's a self evaluation and a risk that we have to take as we're jumping into the book of Romans. And here's what we're saying God, we need change. And here's the other confession we don't know where we need change. And so we surrender to you to be the source and instrument of that change because why? The gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. There's you first and then to the Greek. I think that God is compelling us to be willing to look at the depths inside of our heart and realize our daily need for transformation. I think finally, what God is doing through the letter of Romans through the Apostle Paul is to remind us that God is gonna prove himself both righteous and consistent. That what at the end of the day, all of the accusations levied against God by our own hearts or by all of humanity will prove to be found wanting if we truly understand the work of God in the gospel. And if we find ourselves rooted in who we know God to be and how he's communicated about himself, it will dispel all of those false ideas of who we think God actually really is. That there's a transforming work if we give ourselves to the study and the truth of what God says, specifically in the book of Romans, but in in his word holistically, that God is moving us towards himself to clarify his goodness and grace, that his righteousness and consistency is proof that we as the creator, created, cannot levy an accusation about the creator. He knows what he's doing. And so as we're honest and authentic with the emotions and the challenges we feel, we come to the same conclusion. Who's the problem? It's me. It's I. I'm the problem. I need change. And I will commit to you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the book of Romans will lead us to that very place where the truth of the gospel will be a source of change. Let me close with this one final poem that I think uh, illustrates, and it's not written by Taylor Swift, just in case you were wondering. Uh, we can only go so far uh, but I do, I do want you to just hear and so if, if you close your Bibles for me and you'll never hear me say that again uh, but if you, and just, just reflect on the words written and this is, this is written uh, about the book of Romans by an anonymous author just writing and reflecting about how they are interacting with God and the challenges that they face so listen to these words and then I'll close in prayer O, oh, long and dark, the stairs I trod, when trembling feet to find my God, gaining a foothold bit by bit, then slipping back and losing it, never progressing, striving still with weakened grasp and faltering will, bleeding to climb to God while he, serenely